Pastor Ed Taylor says the pathway to joy and happiness is far different than what the world would have us believe. The pathway of joy and happiness is to be poor in spirit. Now, that's a very different message than the world that we live in. The world says, if you want happiness, then go get it. If you want happiness, then stand up for yourself. Be self-assertive. Pump up your own self-esteem. Speak good thoughts to yourself. If you want something, just go get it at whatever cost. Be strong. And Jesus says, if you desire happiness, the blessed person recognizes their own poverty of spirit. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for. While some view God as some sort of cosmic killjoy, the reality is He wants us to experience joy and happiness, but the pathway to it may surprise you. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll discover how to experience abiding joy in Jesus through a study of John chapter 15. Here's our teacher and pastor, Ed Taylor. Open your Bibles to John chapter 15 as we continue on our study. If you want to get ahead, you can also mark. It's not very far from there, but we're going to end up in Matthew chapter 5 as we use these two passages together today. The heart of our Savior in this section of John 14 and 15 is to truly bring great joy and happiness into our lives, just like he was with his disciples before him, because he has planned, you know, in the providence of God that the crucifixion is just up ahead. The disciples don't know that. They, they don't understand that. And remember, he opened up in John 14 with these words, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I think the disciples here are in a place where they know something's going to happen, but they don't know what's going to happen. And they recognize that the urgency, perhaps they even see it on the face of Jesus. Something's going to happen. Something's changing. We're getting closer to something, but not quite able to put all the pieces together. And Jesus is taking this opportunity in their lives and in all to encourage us. And by the time we get to chapter 15, notice in verse 4, the answer to a troubled heart is this doctrine of abiding, this encouragement to abide. Remember, if you didn't already, you can circle the word abide and right next to it, stay put. Uh, The idea is to stay put or to remain. These are words of relationship, not words of religion. And I know that we say this often, and you might hear it often with other Bible teachers, uh, that our relationship with God is not religious. Or you might hear it put this way, we we aren't really practicing religion, but instead developing relationship, just like any good relationship, just like any good friendship, just like any good marriage, just like any good relationship within the home. 
Uh, there is a lot of time invested, a lot of testing, uh, a lot of trials to get over. And in your relationship with Jesus Christ, it's the same thing. It requires an investment of time. It requires an investment of commitment because the time to wander away or the time not to stay put would certainly be the highest level of that would certainly be the times of trials and doubts and insecurities and difficulties that every relationship experiences. And then add to that the factor of the body of Christ and the things that we face within the body, the disappointments of other believers in our lives, uh, the difficulties of dealing with the relationship with one another. I'm sure that some of you have had that thought, you know, going through something and you're like, man, this is hard enough, but this was, a, this was at the hand of another believer or at least someone that said they were a believer. And those are all challenges uh, for us to abandon. Sometimes we mistake our relationship in the church with our relationship with Jesus Christ. And that could be very discouraging because our relationship isn't first and foremost in the church. It's with him who has promised to never leave us or forsake us. And I like how he says in verse 4, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I like how the message translation, we looked at this last time, the paraphrase where he translates this verse, Live in me, make your home in me just as I do in you, in the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, But only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you're joined to me. And that's a great picture. A branch thrown off to the side isn't going to bear fruit. It's going to shrivel up and die. And as Jesus said, it's going to be thrown into the fire, burned away. We want to be in the vine. We want to stay put in Jesus, which gives great meaning to our time in the Bible. I mean, some of you are shriveling up right now because there's just no time in the Bible. There's no time seeking the things of God. There's just no prayer time in a, in a season, especially in our church, our church family, where God is reigniting a f- passion and a flame of prayer, of simply setting aside our preconceived ideas of what prayer could be or is and just praying together. Uh, I'm seeing it. I'm seeing a response on Wednesday nights where we're seeing so many come out to pray But we're also seeing so many, because we're taking 10 minutes now, we're calling it Give 10, and we're taking 10 minutes of our gathering to pray together as a church. And you know what? The ranks have thinned out on Wednesday night. Maybe that's a word to you, like, I don't want to pray. Man, that's a a big problem for you. That's a big problem for you and for us as a part of the body, because it's the very power of God that he would want to stir. And so we're going to stick with it, and we're going to continue to seek God and find ourselves in a place where... We're going to steady on to, to seek God through what he tells us to do. Not, to, not through things that he tells us not to do, but like Acts 2.42. You want to be a strong believer, then in the book of Acts, it says, continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. So stay put, Jesus says. You're not able to bear anything. Now, let's pick up where we left off in verse 9. As Jesus now gives us an added benefit of not only much fruit, but notice, as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Notice verse 11. 
These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. That's a promise of the abiding presence of Jesus Christ in our lives that he would give us joy. I'm telling you these things, he says. I'm teaching you these things. You could say it this way. We, We gather together as church. We open up our Bible in the morning. We pray on a regular basis all day long. Why? So that the joy of the Lord would be ours. And notice he says that my joy I give to you, not my happiness. It's an elusive thing seeking after happiness. Some of you, that's your life's goal. You might even put up on your mirror lately. You read a book and said, hey, man, the highest goal of life is happiness. So there you are in your mirror. You write it up on your mirror, a little post-it note. On the refrigerator, it says, I will be happy today. How's that working out for you? <laughs> well, I would say this. You look it up on the mirror. It says, I'm happy. You have a little thought of happiness. And, and it's able to put you on the right track. I mean, it's better than putting up on your mirror, I want to be miserable today. So I'm certainly not putting down in any way your desire to be happy. But you've got to understand something. Happiness is very dependent upon happenings. So at your mirror, in the morning, the house is quiet, the phone hasn't rang, you haven't checked your text messages or the news for the day, I would say you have a really good chance of being happy in front of your mirror for about 30 seconds, 45 seconds. You have a pretty good chance. Because nothing's happening except your thought life. Nothing's happening except the potential of the day. Nothing's happening except you setting your mind in the right direction. Until you get out of the bathroom, you go downstairs, and you find out there's no milk in the refrigerator. You wanted, you were just so craving your Cheerios. You know, no eggs today, Cheerios today, but there's no milk. And your heart sinks a little bit. And you go, well, no big deal. I'm going to be happy today. And you get out in the car and you head to work and you get to work and you find out they called a special meeting. I'm going to be happy today. And on and on the day goes. And before you know it, you realize that you have little control over many of the circumstances in your life. And your ha- if your happiness is dependent upon circumstances, as so it's, it's very common for folks to live on the emotional plane of life. So when things are good, you're happy. When things are bad, you're not so happy. Jesus doesn't promise happiness. He promises joy. And he promises, he says very clearly, my joy. My joy. Now, joy is not dependent upon outward things. Joy from a biblical perspective is an inward, settled, peaceful contentment in the will of God. So that even if circumstances are not so good, there's a settled peace in my life that I trust God and have a peace. I have a contentment that God is going to do what he's promised to do. So it's possible. It's possible to be joyful and settled in God and at the same time have a twinge of unhappiness. It's possible. But it's also possible... And here's the cool thing, to be both joyful in God and happy in circumstances on many of the high levels of life. So joy doesn't mean you have to be unhappy, but rather you can have joy in unhappiness in difficult times 
which we all face, but also you can have joy and happiness at the same time, which is very encouraging. We want that in our lives. And so let me show you the work of the Holy Spirit in your life that might aid you in your abiding relationship with him. Turn over to Matthew chapter 5, and let's go through a few things that the Holy Spirit promises through Jesus Christ in our lives in a section there in the beginning of Matthew 5 known as the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. This whole section, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is the te- contains the teaching of Jesus on what it means to live a kingdom-centered life or an eternal perspective life like Jesus is doing here in John 14. Getting our eyes back on heaven, getting our eyes on eternity, getting our eyes on the work of Jesus Christ in our lives, not just depending on happiness, but receiving the joy of the Lord. Or as the psalmist said, the psalmist is quoted as saying, that the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And so where does that come from? Well, notice in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus begins to teach us the attributes or the character of the Christian, the inward part of the Christian, as opposed to the world in which we live. And it's always good to be reminded from the pulpit as you turn your attention to Jesus Christ or as this radio, as this um, Bible teaching will be aired later on the radio or will be on a podcast somewhere, and you flip it on, and the reason you're going to Bible study, same reason I do, not only do I want to learn about God, but I want to wash my mind with the water of the Word. I want to wash away some of my thinking, and it's always good to be reminded when the Bible is open before us that the world in which you live has influenced you more than you really believe. The world in which we live, the attributes of the world system that we're in, has truly influenced our thinking more than we are either willing to admit or willing to see in our lives. And that, where, that is where the stretch comes and the battle comes between, between the spirit and the flesh. It's exactly what happened with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when they were lied to and they believed the lie. We live in a world filled with lies that are packaged up as truths And we make the same mistake, I would say the same sinful mistake, virtually every single day of every single week, of every single month, of every single year, where we choose to believe the lie. And because of that, great difficulty arises in our lives. Faithlessness, anxiety, worries, and fears. So notice what Jesus says. This abiding joy comes through, verse 3. Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, you can circle the word blessed. And a way of looking at this word in the Greek is, you could, you could write next to it, Oh, how happy. Oh, how happy are the poor in spirit. You and I will experience happiness and joy by being of poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. The Father's heart is to bless you to bring happiness and joy into your life. It's promised. But the pathway of joy and happiness is to be poor in spirit. Now, that's a very different message than the world that we live in. The world says, if you want happiness, then go get it. If you want happiness, then stand up for yourself. Be self-assertive. 
Pump up your own self-esteem. Speak good thoughts to yourself. If you want something, just go get it at whatever cost. Be strong. And Jesus says if you desire happiness, the blessed person recognizes their own poverty of spirit. You know, we don't really see ourselves until we see the Lord. Like Isaiah. Isaiah recorded early on in his ministry that he had a heavenly vision of being at the throne room of God. And the glory of God was so powerful. As he measured himself against the glory of God, he only had one thing to say. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I'm among a people of unclean lips. He wasn't putting himself down artificially. He wasn't condemning himself. He wasn't in some way, you know, self-mutilating himself to go, what a horrible person I am, and I have no future. Not at all. Instead, he was recognizing God in his glory and recognized I have so much farther to go. It's an amazing thing as we, as we live for Jesus Christ in our lives because we would expect to be farther along the path than we really are, especially when we fail. So, so you know, we have been saved. Let's say for you, you've been born again for uh, 10 years. And yet there are episodes in your life where you look at your life and you feel like a new believer. You feel like, well, wait a minute. I thought I was 10 years old. I thought I'd been walking with the Lord 10 years old. I've been listening to Bible studies for 10 years. I've been reading my Bible for 10 years. But this episode in my life makes me think I'm not even saved. And one of the reasons is because you have, you have learned that the journey that you're on with Jesus Christ is a journey of progression. A journey of progression. You know, it, let's put it this way. Uh, you, you've been working at the same job for 10, 20 years. I would expect, you've been working the same job for a while, that you're better now than you were on day one, right? You're better. I mean, because remember day one when you started training, you were just like, man, I don't think I can do this job. I think I picked the wrong career. This is crazy. And your trainer is going, no, don't worry about it. It's going to get better. Just work hard and this, do this little trick. And this is, it's going to take some time. And now here you are 10, 15 years later, you're the trainer. And you're telling people the same thing that you were told on day one because it was so hard on day one. But now with time and experience and learning a little bit, you're so much stronger in your job than you were 10 years ago. And we we associate that even with our relationship with the Lord. That in many ways, you're a lot farther along than you were. But here's something you need to understand. The farther along you are in your journey with Jesus the more that God reveals for you to continue to grow in. So it's no strange thing that you're hit a roadblock along the way. It's no strange thing that you're, you were slapped around with a little bit of doubt. It's no strange thing that here you are 15 years, 20 years, 50 years, raised in a godly home, generations of believers, but you wake up one morning and you're wondering, what's wrong? What's wrong? Listen, there's a blessing in understanding your need for Jesus Christ new and fresh every day. You don't, and I don't, outgrow God. Nor do we outgrow our need for him. That's why he says, stick with it. Stay put. Abide in me. When we see ourselves in light of Jesus, then we become poor in spirit, and we see our need for him. And it's always a humbling experience to get a clear vision of God. 
It's always a humbling experience to, to, to have the conviction of God placed upon our lives for a decision or for a thought or for a word that doesn't belong in our lives. As we experience the power and presence of God, the result is never pride. It's a never, never a prideful thing to get a fresh vision of who God is in our lives. Instead, what does it do? It brings humility. It brings worship and adoration. And here's the promise for the blessed of being poor in spirit. Verse 3, yours is the kingdom of heaven. There's a settled peace about you with an eternal perspective. You recognize that everything that's going on in your life today is being used by God for now and for eternity. Notice verse 4. The next promise of blessing or happiness is that blessed are those who mourn. Mourning is an incredibly horrific emotion. God designed mourning for us to deal with great loss in our lives. And while the experience of mourning is horrendous, the result of mourning is very beneficial, where you don't have to hold it in, and you don't have to keep it in, and you don't have to work things out in your own mind. But God has created us with this expression to get it out, to allow the pain to flow through us and not just be bottled up with inside of us. We often refer to mourning uh, as the loss of a loved one, grieving. But, but mourning and grieving, it happens in a variety of different losses in our lives. Those of you that have gone through a divorce, you experience mourning and grief over the loss of a relationship. Those of you that have a child that's going sideways, you're experiencing grief and mourning over the, the loss of hope in this season of your life with your kids. Those of you that have lost a job, uh, those of you that have gone through great pain of any sort experience a loss in that particular situation. But Jesus isn't referring to that type of mourning at all. He's using that same emotion, for those of you that can relate, is that you're mourning over the poverty of your spirit. You're recognizing, man, there's a blessing for you to realize, there's a blessing for me to realize how spiritually bankrupt I can be how far I am from the truth of God. You could even say this, verse 4 could be translated, happy are the sad. This is one of the strongest possible words depicting the deepest type of grief over our condition before God. This isn't what the world teaches. This, this is so opposite. The, the world says this, happy are those that enjoy the pleasures of life. That's where happiness comes from. So fill your time with trinkets and toys and diversions. Don't mourn over your credit card debt. Just file bankruptcy. That's what the world says. Don't mourn over the reality that you've misused money and now you're so deep in a hole that you can't get out. You can't use your resources for the kingdom of God. You can't help a brother in need. In some cases, because of misuse of credit card debt, you can't even put food on the table. Don't mourn over that. Just get out of it. Don't mourn over the fact that you have an unbelieving spouse, the world says. Divorce her. Move on to somebody new. You don't need to live that way. That's not God's will for your life. Get out of it. Instead of being so poverty-stricken over the condition of your relationship. Now the world says don't mourn over your spiritual emptiness. Those twinges that you feel distant from God, just fill it with any kind of diversion. Don't even think about it. Move on to the next, to the next to the next. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, blessed are you, happy are you that mourn the condition of your life. Because notice the answer in verse four is you'll be comforted. 
You'll be comforted in the brokenness of your life by God himself. And the Lord will come to you and say, I condemn you not for your condition of your life. Go and sin no more. Just like he did with the woman that was caught in adultery. We've been in the Gospel of John today on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is leading us verse by verse through the entire book. Would you like to hear today's message again? You can listen online 24-7 at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to go is to download our church app. Do a search for Ed Taylor. With Pastor Appreciation Month in mind, we've selected a book that we believe will be a great encouragement to your pastor. It's Ed Taylor's book, Sure and Steady, Learning and Growing in Pastoral Ministry. Topics include your personal walk with the Lord, the heart of a pastor, serving the people, using your time well, and inviting yourself into the lives of others. We'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Call 877 Grace. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or order it online at calvaryco.store. We can't thank you enough for your support. God is doing a wonderful work through the radio and internet these days, and you can be a part of it. Call toll-free 877-30-GRACE or go online to aboundinggraceradio.com. Tell a friend about this daily program and set aside another half hour to join us tomorrow for Abounding Grace when Pastor Ed Taylor digs deeper into the Gospel of John to mine its treasures. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.